when we come to the Bible, we should come expectantly. That means we should come expecting to get something. Like when you and mommy went to McDonald's, you expected to get something. Sometimes when I drive by Wendy's, I hear the Frosty calling me, but I don't always get it. But with the Bible, every time we come to it, we should come expecting to hear from God. Because of course God wants to speak to us, right? Why wouldn't he? Is there any reason why God wouldn't want to speak to us? Well, there's reasons why we may not hear him. We might be too busy, like I was this morning. We might be too concerned about other things. Maybe there's some sin in the way that keeps us from hearing what God wants because we're too caught up in what we want or what someone else says. But God's always ready and willing to talk to us and to share with us wonderful things. Because he's our dad and he loves us and he cares for us and he made us and he knows us. And there should never be anything that gets in the way. The only thing that gets in the way is us. He never wants there to be anything in the way. So God, we just pray as we get into your word tonight that there will be nothing in the way. And anything that is in the way, any worries or cares or sin, God, forgive us and take it away. And uh, God, keep the enemy away. God, let our minds be ready to hear from you. Our hearts be open to things you would say of your spirit. And God, would you fill us, God, and teach us. Because you're the one who teaches us. We can't teach ourselves the Bible. We can know the facts, but we don't understand the point. You, you are the point. Help us not to search the scriptures and miss you. Let us see you in it all. So God, we pray by your word, by your spirit, you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's open up to Proverbs chapter 11 and see how far we get in it tonight. You know, Proverbs is wisdom. And one of the first things that we do to get wisdom is to listen. We talked about my friend Pastor Vinny last week, that him just being quiet and listening made him seem wise. And while it also is a sign that he is wise, because just by listening, we can hear. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Proverbs 11, 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And we could probably get lost in this. But a balance, if you've ever seen it, is like a scale. And they would put a weight on one side. So the weight would say one pound or whatever it was. And you would put a pound's worth of goods in it. And that's how you would measure out how much it was. Like when I bought grapes at the store the other day, it was whatever it was per pound. And it came out to about $6, right? So I trust that the scale at the register is accurately weighing those grapes. Because if the store wanted to cheat me, they could tweak the scale to say it's really two pounds for only one pound. And then I'm paying $6 for a pound of grapes instead of $3 for a pound of grapes. And that would be stealing. And that's what the Bible says. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. That God says he doesn't like when people cheat each other. He doesn't want people to cheat each other. 
and more than just finances, right? He wants a just weight. You know, when you go to get gas, there's a little sticker there. They inspect the gas pumps to make sure they're not stealing from you because it'd be easy. Even if they're not doing it on purpose, even if that scale is off just a little bit on accident, it adds up to a lot. Even if it's only off by a penny, well, you buy a hundred things there, they're going to get an extra dollar from you. Or vice versa, you're going to be taking from them. And as much as God cares about the physical things, God cares more about the spiritual things. And a lot of people say that God isn't fair. God, why is this happening to me? It's not, I've been such a good person. Why aren't good things happening to me? Well, it doesn't work that way. Our reward isn't in this life. It's in the next one. In fact, Jesus said, your life, the more righteous you are, the more trouble you'll probably face, more opposition you'll have to try and live a right life. I think Jesus was most concerned about spiritual matters because he was most mad at the Pharisees and Sadducees because they knew what God's word says. They knew what the standard said. God's word said things should weigh this much, so to speak, and things should be weighed out this much. But the Pharisees and Sadducees weren't. They were more concerned about an outward appearance than the condition of the heart. They were more concerned about how they looked and how people thought of them by how they actually were treating them. And God doesn't like that. God called them out for that. And the Bible says that with what measure we judge, we ourselves will be judged by. So with what weight, what part of the scale you put on other people is going to be the scale that gets measured back on you. God's going to say, you were very harsh with those people. You were very judgmental. You know, they say that when you're pointing one finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you, right? Look at the three pointing back at me. And people will twist that and say, you can't judge. Don't judge me. You just need to love everybody. Well, that's true. But there's two types of judgment in the Bible. The first type is uh, condemnation or damnation and saying, these things will send you to hell and I'm sending you to hell. And that's God's position. God is the only just judge who can look down and say, what you've done is wrong. And here's your eternal punishment for it. We don't sit in God's throne. We can tell people that what they're doing is leading them on a path to hell, but we can never say that you're going to hell and write them off like they have no hope, like they have no opportunity. But we as Christians are told to judge, but in the manner of the word meaning discernment between right and wrong to say what you're doing is right or what you're doing is wrong. I'm not telling you that right now there's no hope for you and I'm condemning you and I don't want anything, and I don't want anything to do with you, so to speak, and you getting saved. I might not be able to be your friend because of what you're doing. I might not be able to hang out with you. I might not believe that you're a Christian, but I'm going to tell you and I'm going to judge your behavior. I'm going to judge the fruit in your life that you're doing the wrong thing. And I'm going to tell you you're doing the wrong thing because I know that the Bible is clear about what's right and wrong. And when the Bible is clear about what's right and wrong, I'm going to tell you what's right and what's wrong because I don't want you to be judged eternally. I don't want you to get 
to heaven with a false weight in your minds thinking that you were not doing anything wrong and the Christian never told you you were doing anything wrong and so you ignored the conviction of God in your life. Me as a Christian, as a Bible believer, as someone who knows God, want to tell you the same things that God would tell you. I want to tell you the same things that the Bible would tell you. That way when you stand before God one day, you'll have no excuse. And in fact, my hope is that you'll go, I need Jesus to be my excuse. God, let me out of hell because of Jesus. Because that's my only way out of hell. That's my only way out of condemnation is through Jesus. And so that just weight is God's delight. God loves to be just. Like it says uh, in Micah 6, uh, teach us to walk humbly, to love mercy, to do justice, right? That we should do justice. We should do the right thing. The problem is in our day and age, the world doesn't like the right thing. The world is so full of its sin, and it's always been this way, but it's getting worse. They're calling more and more things evil that are good and good that are evil. And so when we go to the world and we go to even a lot of Christians in our day and age and just say plainly, the Bible says, don't let unclean words come out of your mouth in Ephesians. They don't listen. Or the Bible says that there's a man and a woman and there's a difference. Or the Bible says that this is right and that's wrong. And Jesus is the only way. The world will hate that. The world will say, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. In fact, the Bible says their own sin judges them. The judgment they feel when you tell them what's right and wrong, even if you do it in the wrong way, even if you don't do it in the most loving way, because who's perfect? The judgment that they feel is truly the weight of their own sin. And the more weight of their own sin, the more judgment that's on them, the more they'll lash out at you for pointing it out. It's kind of like if I had a, uh, an infection in my mouth and I kept taking ibuprofen and painkillers to get rid of it, right? But then all of a sudden, you know, I hit it or I touch it or you say your breath stinks because of my pain. I'm aware of the pain, but I don't want to admit it and I'll lash out, ah, because all of a sudden that pain has a way to be released. And that's what happens when we point out the sin in someone's life. No, we don't need to go around and, and point out everything everyone's doing wrong. We're supposed to pray for them, right? Jesus said to worry about the log in your own eye, right? Take out that big two-by-four out of your eye before you worry about the splinter in your neighbor's eye, right? So there's a, there, we need to be concerned about our own lives as well. But the Bible is clear that we need to judge fruit because that a Christian is going to be known by their fruits and known by their love for one another. And so God wants just weights in practical matters. He doesn't want us to cheat at work. He doesn't want us to cheat on our taxes. He doesn't want us to cheat our friends, our family. But most of all, he wants us to have a just weight and measure. And he says it's an abomination. An abomination is like the worst, awful thing you can absolutely imagine. And God looks at all sin, and all sin in a sense is an abomination to him. He can't be around it. But there's some things in the Bible that God calls out as being the worst things possible. And there's a handful of them. And if you search the scriptures, you'll find them. And a lot of those things that the world says are great and wonderful and props up these days, the Bible specifically says are abominations. We've gone past just approving sin to now we're promoting abomination. And, and God says, have a just weight, have a just measure in life. Verse two, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. You know, we get prideful. We're convinced we know the right answer. 
Sometimes we're wrong. And the more prideful we are, the more shame will be heaped up on us. Uh, but the humble is wisdom. That even if, you know, it's always better to err on the side of caution. It's always better to err on the side of, well, maybe I'm wrong, than to always try and be convinced that you're right. Because truth will come out, truth will set you free, and the truth will show that you've been doing the right thing and, and you know the right answer. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors will destroy them, right? You know, the Bible talks about our conscience and not to sear it. And we lose our way in life when we sear our conscience. When, when we keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, it begins hard to tell where the right thing to go is, right? If we break our compass, we constantly mash it or we put a magnet next to it, you won't know which way the compass is facing, You'll start going the wrong way. You'll get lost because maybe it's dirty. Maybe the glass is dirty. Maybe it's scratched. Maybe you've got a magnet in your pocket and it's causing north to change so you don't know which way to walk in the woods. Well, that's the same way with the compass in our heart, with our conscience. The more we keep track of it, the more we pay attention to it, the more we're submitted to God's spirit. When God says this is wrong, don't do it, the more we can hear from him. Sometimes we haven't heard from him because the last thing he told us to do, we ignored and we put off and we don't know the way back because we have been putting it off for so long. But when we go walk in the right way, when we let that integrity guide us, well, sometimes we know the right thing to do and maybe we don't want to do it, but we know the way to go because it's the right way to go. And the perverseness of transgressors will destroy and that, that lost conscience, that twisted heart, those twisted thoughts that they've constantly give themselves over to where they no longer even hear the right thing anymore they no longer know what's right and wrong they no longer know the difference between things that are obviously different it destroys them that word transgressor there's two types of sin there's sin where we miss the mark like when we're shooting arrows outside and you miss you were trying to get the bullseye right but you missed you almost hit the neighbor's cow that's sin that's sin. You missed the mark. But transgression says, I know that the target's over there. I know that I should be hitting the, t- the bullseye. Maybe you even can hit the bullseye. Maybe you can't. But you turn around and go, I'm going to go shoot the tire. That's transgression. Purposely shooting the wrong direction. Purposely doing the wrong thing. And that's what twisted things do. The more we sin, the more we give in to sin, the more it twists us, the more especially as believers, when you know the right thing to do, it destroys you. There's no good outcome from purposely putting the wrong answer on the paper. That's transgression. Two plus two is four. You want to get a good grade on the test? You want to pass? And you know the right answer? Why would you ever write four? It's foolishness. It's attitude. It's pride, right? And God doesn't want us to be destroyed. God wants us to know the right way to go. And more than that, He wants us to know the person who is the way to go. And that's Jesus. Like That, uh, that quote says that, as a Christian, uh, I believe the Bible because I know its author. I know God. And if I know God, well, of course all this is going to be true. Yeah, I can look at the facts. I can look at history. I can logically look at this book and, and dissect it. And the more you do, the more you realize that it is true and that it is 
infallible and that it does add up and that it does make sense. And uh, despite theories of evolution, it makes more sense that things were created. But I don't believe it because the facts line up. I believe it because I've met Jesus, the one who wrote the Bible, and more than that, the one who died for my sin. He was the one who pulled me out of the miry clay, out of the pit, out of my sin, out of my transgression, cleansed me, and made me new. Encountering that, that person changed my life. My life is different, not necessarily because I started reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible for like a year before I became a know God. It wasn't until I met God face to face at the end of myself in my room at my mom's house that night in November of 2003 that there was a change. My life was turned around. Then I began to keep reading the Bible. And then I really began to make sense. It began to help me know the right way to go. But until I encountered Jesus, none of this mattered. And that's the point. That's where wisdom comes from is, yeah, it's great to know the right thing to do, but it doesn't change our heart. And God wants our heart to be changed because that's where integrity comes from. Keeping your word. Holding your vows. Keeping your promise. Doing what's right even when you don't feel like doing it. Why? Because you love God and you want to obey Him whether you feel like it or not. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Well, <laughs> if an army were invading, if it was Red Dawn here, right? You might be able to bribe a few people. But really, they're probably going to take all your money and it's not going to do you any good. And the same way, when God's wrath comes, when, like we read in Revelation, when He pours out His wrath on earth, what is all the money in the world going to do any of us? Your house is going to burn. People are going to steal. It, it, nothing's going to save you. What amount of money is going to be good enough to give to God and say, hey, pay for my sin? None. Nothing's worth more than His Son, Jesus. And He already owns it all. And even that is just paper. Money, I know this is a big concept, but money doesn't really mean anything. Money used to be, well, we had gold and we considered gold valuable. And so we printed paper bills so we don't have to carry gold around. But now we've gotten away from the paper bills and the paper bills don't even add up to the gold anymore. And it's all just electronic and a computer. If the computers at my bank go off, whoop, I have no money. I have no cash. It doesn't mean anything. I was just reading, uh, I forget the name of the country. But literally today, they just devalued their currency by some crazy percentage. Where yesterday, let's say, I, I forget the rate, but it was, let's say, that five of their dollars equaled one of our dollars. Today, by the whim of their government and because of the turmoil going on in their country, 15,000 of their dollars now equals one of our dollars. In World War II, when Germany lost, their money became worthless. People used to walk around with barrels of dollar bills, German Deutschmarks or Reichmarks, and it was worth nothing. In Venezuela, their government is so corrupt, their money, people make art out of it, and they, can, they make art with their money, and they sell it online to Americans, and it's worth more than what their, their money is worth. I have money from the Bahamas. It's not worth anything here, right? That's the same way. Our earthly riches, our earthly wealth, our earthly influence, our earthly friendships, 
our earthly skills will do nothing for us on the day of God's wrath. The only thing that will protect us from God's wrath is God's mercy. And that comes through Jesus and through His blood. And it says, righteousness delivers from death. Man, when they come, if you're doing the right thing and the, it's a righteous judge, you're not going to get the death penalty. It's the same way with God. When you get to heaven, the only thing that saves you is righteousness. And it's not our own righteousness, the Bible said. It's Jesus' righteousness. That it's the only thing that gets you and me into heaven is Jesus' blood, Jesus' sacrifice, the right things that Jesus did. It says that Jesus fulfilled the law, that he was perfect. Perfect. God says the only way you get to be coming to heaven is perfect. That means you paid attention to the Bible. That means you obeyed every law. You obeyed your parents every single time the first time. You never said a bad word. You were never mean. You never hit anyone. Not once. And it's worse than just the outside. It's on the inside. Jesus says, if you hated someone in your heart, you murdered them. The Pharisees weren't even close. They thought they were perfect, that they obeyed the law on the outside. But their hearts were off. God says, you have to be absolutely perfect. And the minute, the second, you make a wrong move, you sin, you can't come into heaven. And religion in the world tries to get people into heaven by doing good things to outweigh their bad things. Back to those scales. But there's no amount of good things you could ever do to get rid of, erase one bad thing. You, you might have given them their money back. You might have paid them back four times like Nicodemus, right? Or is it Zacchaeus? I always get it mixed up. Thank you. See, I messed up. But it'll never erase that sin. It'll never get rid of that. It happened. It's written down in history. You can't go back and change it. No matter what you've done. But the righteousness of God delivers us from that. And that's where we put our faith in. Religion wants to make you right. Wants to outweigh the wrong. Wants to get you to a higher level of whatever. It doesn't work that way. That's the difference between every religion on earth. Even uh, religious Christianity is something that would be like Catholicism or someone who goes to church and tries to be a good person. None of that will get them into heaven. The thief on the cross was dying. The only thing he could do is say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He put his faith in Jesus. That's it. And he's in heaven. He couldn't come down off the cross. He was dying. He couldn't go down and do good works, give away money. No. His life on earth was over. And that's the thing when it comes to justice is that the whole world system right now is trying to undo justice. They're trying to say, well, we have so many criminals and people do so many bad things. Well, it's because we made things illegal. So let's stop making bad things illegal so we don't have to lock them up. And if someone does something wrong, let's, be, let's just let them off the hook. Well, the fruit of that is more people are doing things wrong. More crime is happening. People's lives are getting more ruined. Because it doesn't work that way. People do things that are wrong because they're sinful and they don't know God. And we need to bring back God in society. And that's an unjust unjust measure because God created government and in Romans God says that we should obey the government as much as we can obeying God when they tell us to not obey God then we don't obey them but God says that he created government and the agents thereof to punish unrighteousness to execute justice to say when someone robs from me I should be able to go to the police and go to the government and say please arrest them and put them in jail 
and make them pay me back and do whatever. To execute justice, to execute righteousness, to carry it out. But they don't. They don't always. You can't count on them anymore for that. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Why? Because ultimately God wants to use that to get the criminal's attention, to get the person's attention that there's a bigger judgment coming. If there's judgment on earth, you better believe there's judgment after earth, after life. That you're going to face God's judgment one day too. And you're going to need someone to stand up for you. The righteousness of the upright will direct his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. And the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but transgressors will be taken by their schemes. That again, again, this comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous, that even though, yeah, we're righteous in God's eyes, means we're going to try and do the right thing, even when we mess up our way into heaven, is because of God. But it helps direct our way. Life is much simpler when you're living a life of obedience. You don't have to figure out and scheme how to get your own way, how to get it over on someone. You don't have to try and control other people. You just do, your, do what's right and follow God, and He'll work the things out. You're less stressed. You're not as worried trying to make sure that everything goes your way in life because you can't control it anyway. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. You watch someone who lives a wicked life, they might get away with it for a while, but you watch and you'll see Something will happen in their life that is a result of their wickedness. They get caught. They lose everything. It's because of their wickedness. And it's so funny. You watch someone who is into scheming and lying. There are some people who just lie all the time and almost can't even help it. Pathological liars. And eventually they'll get caught in their own lies. They say, you know, you say one little white lie. Oh, it's no big deal. But people lie all the time. They have to keep track of all their stories. And it doesn't add up. And eventually they get caught in it because they've told so many lies they can't even keep up with it anymore. You can watch some of these criminal shows and these investigations. and You can watch through the interrogation how they're struggling to stay within their lies and make their story make sense. And their story doesn't make sense and it catches them. And when a wicked man dies, his expectations will perish. And the hope of the unjust men perishes. That people who live this life wickedly are living for this life only. They're doing everything they can to get as rich as they can, to get as much power as they can, get as much stuff as they can in this life. But when they die, where's that stuff? Can't take it with you. Pharaohs try to take it with them. They built the giant pyramids. They put all their stuff in there to try and take it to the afterlife. But who got it? bunch of robbers hundreds of years later that broke in and said, oh, there's just bones here and they didn't use their stuff. I'm going to take it now. And man, God does not want our hope to perish. God wants our hope to be eternal, to be something that we can trust in. Jesus said what? That we should store up our treasures in heaven where moths don't come in and eat our clothes, where robbers don't come in and steal our Nintendo, where mice don't come in and steal our Whoppers but in heaven where none of that's going to happen. And you can put as much as you want in heaven, as much as your life, put your whole life there, not just your faith and trust in Jesus. Let that be the beginning. Let your career go to heaven. Let your uh, marriage go to heaven. Let your future go to heaven. Say, God, I don't care. You know, I think about this uh, pastor who his daughter was just so in love with God and so ready to go to heaven. She was doing school, you know, high school and 
involved in her church, but she was just so in love with God, she just wanted to go to home to heaven. And you know what? God took her home when she was 16 or 17 or something like that. She got in a car accident. She didn't drive into a pole. Someone crashed into her and she died. And I think, I think the story goes that the day before she was talking to her dad, she was just so ready to go home. She put everything there. God said, there's nothing left for you to put in heaven, my dear. I'm taking you home tomorrow. You've given your whole life to me. I'm going to use, you've given your whole life to me. I'm going to use your death now to glorify me. And that's the way our lives should be. As long as we live on earth, that, man, like, yeah, you might have a job. You might have a career. You might have a family. But consider, is there something better than that? Yeah, maybe you have an opportunity to go to college one day or be a doctor one day. That might be great. But what if God is saying, be John the Baptist, grow a beard, go out in the wilderness, eat bugs, and tell people that I'm coming back. All of John's treasures in heaven. He had met Jesus. He had met God. Not just his cousin, but he met God. And he knew the call in his life by the Spirit, even from when he was in his mom's belly, jumping around like we felt the baby last night. That there's a call on John's life. And the Holy Spirit had a plan for him. And John could have probably done a million other things. I'm sure he had opportunities to do other things in life. But he was obedient to God and said, this is the best way for me to go in life. And you know how John's life ended? On a resort, playing golf, eating ice cream while he's being retired for 20 years. No. And went to jail and the king cut his head off because John said to the king, you're unjust. You're doing something very wicked. And he cut his head off. You know that? Bring me John the Baptist's head on a platter, right? And think about that. That the things God wants, the economy, the scales of heaven, are very different than the scales on earth. I think in a way, God says that the streets of heaven are paved in gold. Because they probably are. But I think God wants us to realize that the things on earth that are most valuable, the gold, the money, the jewels... It's just dirt in heaven. That's the stuff you walk on. It's the stuff your heavenly pickup truck drives on. Because the things in heaven that matter are righteousness, our justice, our holiness, our obedience, our faithfulness. And more than that, the things that matter in heaven is, are you there? Are your friends there? Are the people around you there? And the things of earth don't matter. Now, we can have things on earth, but and God blesses us. He says, if you seek first my kingdom, all these things will be added to you, right? It's not wrong to have things. You don't have to, you don't have to be religious and give up everything and be John the Baptist to make yourself righteous. If God, God's, God, you could do that, and God's going to tell you, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to go start a business. What are you living out in the middle of the desert for? Go get busy. But he might. The key is, do you know God? Do you hear his voice and do you want his wisdom? Because that's the best way to live life. It makes life easy. Even when things are tough, 
we can know the way to go. Even when the wicked are prospering, we have a hope. Even when we lose all our money to the IRS man, we know that we're going home. Take your hand out of your shirt. That when we go home, we've got a reward for us. And honestly, the crowns are cool, but we're going to cast them all back to Jesus. The reward I'm looking for is seeing my baby in heaven. Seeing Pop-Pop in heaven, seeing Pastor Tony in heaven, seeing Billy Graham, seeing my grandpa, seeing my family, seeing my friends again, living with them, not having to worry about New York and video calls and around the world and politics. But most of all, to see Jesus. That my reward in heaven is to be face-to-face with the one that I met 20 years ago almost, who forgave my sin, who made me new, who's walked with me my whole life, watched over me before I knew him, watched over me since I knew, I've known him, helped me up every time I've fallen, been merciful to me when I deserve judgment, been gracious to me when I deserve punishment. And he's also spanked me when I've needed it. Like David said, your rod and your staff comfort me. But you know what? The wisdom from above is first peaceable and pure. right? That God wants peace with us. He wants our lives to be pure and holy. And He wants us to know the way. And that's Jesus. And it's not just about being wise or being smart. That's all great. That's all in here on purpose. But the end of it all is to obey God and know Him in it. Amen? Amen. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the stickers at the doctor and that we can even... Go to the doctor. Like when Mima was uh, having a heart attack last week that she was able to go to the doctor. We thank you for that. But we know that it was your mercy on her life, you protecting her, you providing for her, you uh, healing her and giving the doctors and us wisdom over the years, practical wisdom to make things to go in her heart and open up the, the veins and the arteries to keep the blood going. That's wisdom. And that w- all wisdom comes from you. And we thank you for those who have pursued that. But uh, most of all, we thank you for her wisdom to <laughs> go to the doctor. But God, give us wisdom. We pray as we continue to study Proverbs, make us wise, help us be just and to love others and to uh, tell them the truth when necessary and uh, do it in tough ways sometimes, but also, uh, God, to treat others the way we'd want to be treated and to measure out to them grace and mercy too. We love you, God. Bless our night and uh, bless all those who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord, there is a vineyard for our soul, with all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until